0: Hello, I'm John Kennedy and joining me for this episode of Tape Notes are Disclosure to talk about how they recorded and produced the album, Energy. Disclosure are an English electronic music duo consisting of brothers Guy and Howard Lawrence. Coming from a musical family, the boys both began learning instruments from a young age and while at college, immersed themselves in the worlds of hip-hop, house and UK garage. In early 2010, aged just 16 and 19, they began releasing music together on MySpace, and in 2011, having taken time to fully develop their combination of energetic grooves and tight-knit production, the pair signed to PMR Records, making their first commercial breakthrough with the song Latch, featuring the then up-and-coming singer Sam Smith. Their debut album Settle followed in 2013, reaching number one on the UK charts, and earning a Grammy nomination for Best Dance Album. Two years later, their second album, Caracal, did the same, this time featuring an array of world-renowned guest vocalists, including the talents of Gregory Porter, Lord, and The Weeknd. Following a worldwide tour, playing over 300 shows across the globe, and one further EP, the brothers then took a year-long break from music, before beginning work on their third studio album, Energy chosen from over 200 songs the album sees the brothers apply their distinct brand of house music to a myriad of styles drawing on a variety of world music influences today once again due to the covid lockdown i'm at home in Morden, south london and guy and howard join me from guy's studio in north london and what better way to start our conversation than by hearing something from the record this is energy
1: now we're going to take it to another level
0: It is Energy by Disclosure, the title track of the new album, which is out now. And I'm very pleased to say that on the other side of somewhere, I am connected to Guy and Howard, who are Disclosure. Hello.
2: Hello, John. Hello. We are connected. We are connected,
0: (laughs) just about. So where are you?
3: Uh, We're at my house in the studio Mm -hmm. um, in North London.
0: Right. Okay. so North London. And is this the very studio where you made some of this album or...?
3: It's where we mixed it all and produced a lot of the music. But in terms of writing the songs initially, we actually did a lot of them in LA this time. We did write a lot of music in here, but the ones that actually made the cut this time around just, yeah, the magic seemed to happen out in LA. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot in Capitol Studios, which is the label that it's coming out on in the States. And then we moved around a bunch as well. we, We like moving around from studio to studio for initial ideas and sessions, you know, getting inspired by all of the legendary places and Mm -hmm. rooms that people have made albums in Um, but for the mixing and the production everything up to mastering pretty much yeah in this room at this exact spot
0: excellent and when you went to LA was that specifically to record or did you move over there for a, a while
3: I have a small apartment there yeah I met my girlfriend in LA so I go there a lot just for you know life stuff too but I mean it was more because the people we wanted to work with on this album uh, are mostly all in LA so we ended up going out there about four times um, for like three weeks each time Mm -hmm. and just knocking out tunes every day yeah it was really fun actually it was
0: good vibes out there this time. So I've got to ask because Eric Thomas is the voice that we hear on Energy who also featured on the debut album as well and I mean he is Mm -hmm.
2: amazing. Yeah, Have you crossed paths at all? We, um strangely, I, I can't remember why or how, but we crossed paths in Australia once. We both happened to be on tour, I guess. We were playing a show, I think it was in Melbourne, and he happened to be playing a show there, like, the next day. So he came to our show and did, like, a live uh, introduction to our DJ set, which was awesome. Wow. And then sort of, like, I guess you could say sung when a fire starts to burn. I don't know if that's yeah. performed it. People were yeah. like, what's
3: going on? Who is this? And then he just said the words, and everyone was
2: like, oh, oh it's, the guy. it's that guy. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah no eric's awesome man like, we've got a really nice relationship going on where we're just hugely mutual fans of each other's work you know i listen to his stuff on especially on instagram like most days uh, it's such a good thing to wake up to of just this guy with an incredibly enthusiastic voice just being like
4: get your shit together
2: and you're like, yeah okay i'm gonna do something good today he like shakes it into you and uh it's definitely an energy that is appropriate for house music i think mm. Fantastic. I love
0: that idea, Howard. That because I've always you know I was always a bit curious as to whether that was just a sample that you use from some random guy you came across. But to think that he's a living, breathing preacher man giving you <laughs> daily advice on how to live is really exciting. But I'm
2: curious as to why yeah.
0: why he was in Australia then. If he was performing mm. there. I mean he's a roving preacher man.
2: Yeah. So um he essentially is As opposed to a preacher, he calls himself the hip hop preacher, but essentially he's a motivational speaker. So he'll go around to various conventions and does uh, motivational speaking at them. So people all around the world want that, you know, that's something that is universal in its usefulness. So he seems to be doing really well for himself. I love it because, again, you know, he's got such a positive message. It's a simple message, but he carries it so well with so much enthusiasm. And that's what drew me to him on that sample in the first place, you know, like when we did when a fire starts to burn I didn't really know who he was I just heard like his voice and immediately wanted to use it for a song cuz it had so much character to it and so that's why you know the, the lyrics in when a fire starts to burn don't really mean anything it's like when a fire starts to burn and it starts to spread and then just some gibberish after that that like is me cutting up sentences halfway through words and things just cuz I liked how it rhythmically sounded and so then for this album especially with energy we wanted to kind of make use of his message more, you know, um, because it really aligns with how we feel and what we feel the world needs to hear right now. So it was nice to be able to like include his artistic vision a bit more than just his voice, you know. So on that track, did you tape one of his speeches and use it that
0: way? Or did you actually communicate with him and get him to say something more specific?
2: So we sampled it's from two different speeches of his that I had like cut up, and the messages kind of matched very well. So he we made it sound like one coherent thing. Yeah, he's, he's got so got much like, material, yeah. You like, don't really need to, he's ask got him hundreds for anything. of hours of recorded speeches that he's done all on like every platform, you know, whether it's YouTube or iTunes. And um, I've just trawled through all of them, just looking for the ones that I like the most. And basically, another reason that we did it again, you know, after doing When a Fire Starts to Burn, I think I found all those acapellas the first time and was like this is sample gold man like I can't believe I'm the first person to use this and so we did it assuming that once I'd done that it was like opening Pandora's box and everyone would start sampling him all the time but no one did as far as we know like I haven't heard anyone else using that voice so we were like well if no one else is going to do it I'm definitely doing it again. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love that idea I mean maybe you know it was so definitive with your music that nobody else had the courage to actually use it again, because it's like, disclosure, own this now.
2: You know, <laughs> maybe, maybe. <laughs> I hope not. I, I want people to yeah, feel I'd free like to, to use it. Yeah, do
0: then. That's great. So Eric Thomas is the name, in case people are wondering. And yeah, such a powerful message. So Energy is the title track of the new album. The album is full of energy. It's a very upbeat record. You're releasing it during a pandemic, which is, is a tricky business. But it's actually your first new album in quite some time. I and mean, it's been five years since the last record was all of that time spent thinking about more music or did you think actually we need to decompress after our amazing success we need to give ourselves a break 2017
3: was definitely spent yeah recollecting uh recalibrating and yeah just sort of realizing what's happened to us and trying to take stock of that it was intentional i think we knew that we would end the caracal tour which was you know by far bigger and in every way than we ever thought we could achieve, you know, in doing this. I mean, especially when we started out, you know, making slightly more obscure underground electronic music, just two guys from Reigate in Surrey, you know. And then before we know it, we're playing Madison Square Garden. I mean, it's ridiculous. So, you know, that takes a lot to wrap your head around. And yeah, we needed that time to do that. So I went traveling for three months around Southeast Asia with just no plan, just booking flights as I went and hotels and just making it up with my girlfriend. It was so fun read a lot but a couple of books and yeah just fully tried to get back to reality and then Howard went and bought a house in the country and has got really into agriculture and farming and this kind of stuff so we both just did what our I say our personalities are about the most which is for Howard yeah being outside in nature and I don't know for me looking at monuments that look like they could have been built by aliens so yeah we did a bit <laughs> of that and that was really fun and needed and i think we just tried to educate ourselves we also realized you know neither of us went to university howard got kicked out of college halfway through for touring too much so we just missed out on a bunch of you know education so we did a lot of reading a lot of podcasts and then work began on the album yeah start to mid 2018 i'd say maybe end of 2017 just a bit but yeah, I think Birthday, which is a song we'll go through later, that was one of the first tunes we wrote for the record, and that was end of 2017, and we wrote about 200 songs since then to get these 11. So it was a big old process of letting go and uh, sacrifice and, and all of those things, um, which is something we've not done before. You know, usually we work in a way that's kind of, we just write, 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 right, bang, there it is, put it out. This time we knew we had a nice core fan base that would hopefully stick around for us and wait for us to finish and... We knew that we wanted to write hundreds of songs to pick those magical ones that, you know, don't come up every day. There was a version of the album, you know, about a year and a half ago, which just had Birthday, Marley Marley, a couple others, and then some other tunes. And we considered that being done for a bit, and then we just carried on. And then it got completely changed. And yeah, the reason behind it being called Energy is because of that process as well. It's because of the fact that the songs we ended up choosing that made the cut out of those 200 were the ones that came to us quite easily you know we didn't have to fight for them there weren't 20 versions of each song they were just made on the day we captured the vibe in the room just like that and that's what's on the record and you don't write those ones every day you know those ones do not come around very easily but when we look back over our nearly 10-year career those ones that happened in that way are always the most popular ones uh, with Mm. the fans you know latch to white noise to omen and magnets they were all written the core of it at least the hook you know in 20 minutes but you have to write like 20 other tunes to get that little moment to happen so yeah I don't think we could have done that if we just kept rolling out of album two straight into album three you know we would have just burned out and the quality of the music would have suffered because of that yeah
0: it's a great moment of self-realization to know that and recognize that you need to take stock I mean so many great artists have kind of burned themselves out by not being able to do Mm -hmm. that or for them to have outside pressure pushing them on to more performances more recording sessions and yeah it all gets kind of watered down and becomes not as great as it could be so uh, for yeah. people so young you have such wisdom from clearly such an early age you know taking <laughs> charge and, and steering yourselves to this point do you actually think- well we have
3: a great team as well man right that, that's another thing you know our managers have always been very aware that we're very young you know when we say managers since day one Howard was 15 when we joined them. I was 18. You know, I think they were aware that they were, you know, managing kids here and yeah, just trying to be respectful of that. And you know, we're not kids anymore. But when you come off tour for like seven years, you basically are still a kid because you haven't done much growing up. So yeah, we needed time to grow up a bit and uh, evolve. But yeah, I think you know, there's a big chat about mental health going on in the music industry now with touring and all that stuff. And a big solution a big help of that problem would be just people taking a break mm-hmm. uh, and unfortunately unless you reach a certain threshold of success you can't take a break like you need to keep the momentum going or like i said that core fan base like they might not be there after you've been away for so long you know yeah
2: more so now than ever i would say that is true mm-hmm. because you know like people feel music is so disposable now because there's so much of it coming out <clears throat> if you get a new song from whatever band it's like yeah that might keep you entertained for a week and then something else incredible will come out the next week you know something incredible comes out every week and so it's very easy to forget like oh five weeks ago like oh yeah that tune that's old right (laughs) and it's like whereas you know in like the 70s it was like you'd get a vinyl of like your favorite album and that would last you for the year (laughs) and it's like okay yeah things have changed man so um you have to just keep relentlessly putting out material and i think That's partly why people like Khalid are doing so well, is because he's such a prolific writer. You know, he can just keep knocking out ideas one after the other, and they're always of a really high standard. And I think it's artists like that that will do well in this current climate. Whereas artists that like to spend a year writing an album, it's going to be tougher, you know, and maybe it'd be about changing the release strategy and not doing albums and just doing like single after single to keep that output flowing, but it's such a different world now Mm. to when our parents were in the industry.
0: Yeah, very interesting. But the great thing is that you gave yourselves a break. People have still been listening to your music, maybe, as you say, Guy, because you'd reached a certain level. And people are hungry for this new album and really looking forward to Disclosure being back in our midst. And the great thing about Take Notes is that we get to unravel some of the, the secrets, uh, some of the things behind um, the magic that is Disclosure. And the first track we were going to look at in detail is Duha, Mali Mali, featuring Fatimata Diawara which is out there now and you say guy that this was one of the first tracks that that you had that it was on the other version of the album 18 months ago
3: yeah that's right i think sort of start of 2018 i think we wrote this yeah it's the second time we've used fatu mata's voice on one of our tunes so um yeah it's a slightly different way of operating for us you know usually um Well, 99% of the time, to be honest, we always start from scratch with an idea unless we're, you know, sampling something or making like an edit of something. But, you know, if we're doing a truly from ground up song, we'll always make sure we have the singer in the room with us together. We'd never do it remotely or something like that. Just it's never been the way for us. We're musicians at heart. You know, I'm a drummer, Howard's a bass player, a keyboard player. It's like we jam a little bit, you know, in the Mm -hmm. room. We have to bounce ideas and that's important to us. But with this song. This vocal was sent to us by Fatou Mata as an unreleased demo of hers. So we already had that to play with. And I think, you know, the other reason we're comfortable with that, especially with someone like her, is that it's not in English. So, you know, we don't have much to contribute lyrically and her melodies are more than amazing. So that's kind of taken care of. You know, if the lyrics were in English, we might be a little bit more concerned that the meaning wouldn't quite be where we want it to go. But yeah, it's funny when, when you're not working in English, there's a new freedom that opens up to you. You know, you can just kind of dispose of the meaning for a second just make the music that you think fits the vocal vibe wise and then you know you come to learn what it's about after and hopefully what you made matches the meaning of the song <laughs> yeah
0: is that the case i think so yeah i mean yeah.
3: fatu says it better she talks about very serious things you know she's from mali and there's huge problems in mali and she's aware of those and likes to speak about them but then she says quote like I like to dance my problems away you know she doesn't want to sit there and cry she likes to make the point and then put it over a really uplifting funk driven beat we were speaking about that the other day with her on zoom and it's kind of like what Fela Kuti would do you know really serious message but unbelievably funky beat underneath that you can dance to mm-hmm. that's how she likes to express it and so when we sent over our version of this song you know it's super uplifting and
0: really dancey,
3: and so she was really happy with that.
0: Fantastic. So um where did you start? So she sent you this demo recording of her voice. Yeah. And did you have a piece of music already kind of that you're working on or did you think right let's start from scratch?
2: Yeah, so I think I started this one where I found that section of vocal the you know the main hook that you hear and I just immediately liked it. So I like cut that bit up and just looped it and then I started playing chords underneath which ended up being those chords but I just played them straight and it was like a pad. And I think it was probably Guy's idea to do them in the rhythm that they are in, which is the triplet type thing. And then we just went from there, Guy then added drums, I did a bass line. Yeah. Um,
3: Here's the vocal if you want to hear it.
2: Yeah, we'd love to hear the vocal.
5: A bit filtered. And there's some BVs. And then
3: there's like a B section where she's talking about Africa.
5: So that's
3: like the bones of it.
0: Those are the vocals that she sent you.
3: Yeah, going through a lot of processing and stuff on the project here. I mean, if I bypass everything that we've added there, you know, it's now it's the real bones of it.
5: So you can hear
3: some traffic in the background there. Yeah. Um, also,
2: so. uh, we did actually change a couple of notes because the chords that I put under the first section the melody of the second section wouldn't quite fit so we had to change it to be in a major key for the last chord <laughs> so I think if you listen to the original song it's quite different it's like in a very different harmonic space
3: but yeah it's it's not drastically different it's like um, it'll be like a major to minor kind of mm-hmm. difference you know there'll be some
2: minor thirds that have been shifted I think it was on it the it was on the B section so it was like Instead of You know, it's like mm. it's a semitone different But yeah. if you hadn't done it, it would have sounded horrific That's over these right. chords it's, Yeah, the
3: chords are what made it happen <laughs> The fourth chord is pretty jazzy, look This one that is, I think she was singing the yeah semitone above something like that I can't even
2: remember so long ago now (laughs) yeah it's a small difference but yeah
0: and do you know what she recorded on
3: no, 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 I'm not sure. It's a beautiful recording though. Yeah. Lovely, like airy top end. So mm. it would have definitely been in a professional studio for sure. Yeah.
2: I actually, thing. I'm not even sure when she wrote the original song. Cause I think it was like, it was a demo that she'd had knocking around for a while and wasn't sure what she was going to do with it. That's and right. so when we said that we would love to have some stems, she was like, well, take this. And, uh, yeah. we loved it instantly.
0: Right. So that is what you had said to her just in conversation. We're working on music.
2: Well, uh, it was basically we did the original song with her, which was Ultimatum, where we had sampled an existing song of hers that was out. And then when we sent it to her for approval, she was kind enough to say like, oh, well, if you need, I can send you the individual parts rather than us just working with the MP3 or whatever. And so then we had this relationship. And once we'd finished making Ultimatum, she liked it so much and her team liked it so much that they were like, well, if you ever need anything else, just give us a shout. So we were like, yeah, just send us anything. Like, you know, anything you've got, we'd love to hear it. And this was the first thing we got.
0: Yeah. So that conversation had started that communication Which is great, you know, it's great meeting these amazing artists, becoming friends with them in effect and establishing a a great connection because it's great for both of you. You know, there's this two way thing going on.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, she wasn't familiar with our music before we did Ultimatum and us with hers before I just discovered that sample Mm -hmm. for Ultimatum. So, yeah, you know, we're not friends of anyone from Mali, I don't think. So yeah, it's nice to know someone from that part of the world. We are now. Yeah, we are now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So you got the vocal. You were inspired, Howard, to put some chords to that vocal, mm-hmm. and then you gave it to Guy to have a listen to? Is that how it worked?
2: I would have put the chords to it with Guy. Yeah, He would have been sat right next to me like this. <laughs> and then at the same time, he was probably working on the drums while I was doing that. Yeah, that's how um, it usually goes. Yeah.
3: Chords or beats start it 99% of the time. Bassline will be added once the swing of the drums is right, and yeah. then other textural things come later. But, I mean, when you're starting with a vocal... I think it's quite important to get the chords in mm-hmm. before the beat, and just that, to set um, the mood.
2: Yeah, exactly. And that's one of the reasons that I think I realized that I might be able to make songs in the first place was I would do that often. Like in, I went to do music tech at college and one of the like tasks that they set in these lessons, we had a really good music tech teacher, was that they would give you a song. Like I think, I think one that we did was like Sweet Child of Mine right by uh, Guns N' Roses. Yeah. And you had to re-harmonize it. So you had to like forget the original key, keep the same melody, but do like different chords. And I would always do like these crazy whacked out jazzy chords over it. But for some reason I enjoyed that more than anything else in that process. I really love reharmonizing a melody. So we often end up doing that in our original songs now, like with Holding On with Gregory Porter, for example, on the last record. Me and Jimmy Napes wrote that with Gregory around a piano and it was in like this very conventional major key very simple chord progression of like one four five one and then we wrote the whole song over that and then did exactly this you know we recorded the acapella took that away and then me and guy reharmonized it into what it is now and i think you end up with this really unusual sounding kind of song because you've got this melody that you wouldn't necessarily have written over such complicated chords because you'd feel a bit more restrained and confined to the harmony um I find it much easier to reharmonize the chords underneath a melody than to write a melody over complicated chords.
4: Yeah,
0: really interesting. So it's like you're deconstructing your own work as you go along. You know, most people would have it's been. It's like happy we're remixing our own
2: tune. Yeah, yes,
0: yeah, yeah. Most people would have been happy with that session with Gregory Porter and thought, yeah, no, that's in the bag. But then you take it away and uh, <laughs> yeah. completely rip it apart. I love that idea. And also the idea that you're both working together at the same time. So it's almost as if you put that vocal on loop, you're both kind of thinking about it, feeling it, feeling the the whole vibe, I suppose.
2: Yeah, no, it's exactly that. Yeah, And like when we are in a session, you know, writing from scratch with a singer, like with the songs we'll get to later, it's very much like, you know, I'll maybe play some chords and Guy will have a kick drum looping and then me and the singer will start writing a melody. But that whole time, you know, when, when I'm, Spitting out stupid melodies that are suggestions for the song, Guy can already get a feel for like whether that's going to be swung or if it's going to need to be a really rigid like techno-y type beat. You could start feeding off of each other, even though you're working on separate aspects of the song.
0: Mm. And so, where did this song go next? Well, the first thing I thought of
3: was to sort of bring some homogeneity between her vocal and our production. Was to run her vocal through a vocoder mm. to bring it into that kind of synthy electronic space and i think these are probably in the top five best howard chords ever so i was (laughs) like i want to show them off a bit and so the chords in the vocoder are just doing the same as the ones we just played you you know these ones so that's the Korg poly six doing that and then if i solo her vocal but mute the bus you should get just the vocoder so this is what's happening underneath the chords so that just gives it that kind of for me anyway an immediate disclosure feel Mm -hmm. little daft punk as well you know it just brings it into that space that i thought it would excite her you know i was like there's no way that she's probably run her vocal through a vocoder I doubt it. Like She's going to think that's really cool. So yeah, that was one initial idea I had off the back of just hearing the vocal and Howard's chords together. And then I also knew it was going to be fast paced because it's actually slowed down a lot, her vocal. Do you remember how fast it was when she sent it over? No. The original song is like, Mali Mali Is it really? Yeah, it's like drum and bass speed. I can't so remember. I was it. like, okay, well, we're not making drum and bass today. So we flexed it and slowed it down in Ableton because I really like the algorithms in Ableton for warping audio. Uh, we're working in Logic here, by the way. So we would have done a bit of audio manipulation in Ableton first, slowing it down, putting it back into Logic. And then, yeah, the the bulk of the drums are being done in Native Instruments battery. And yeah, I just I knew that once we got it down to 124 BPM, that it would be really good with a 4-4 kick over those triplet chords. You know, you can just, I just heard that straight away in my head. You know, that groove was just felt right to me. And yeah, there's some nice skippy the dums in there already. So I was thinking, okay, tsk, 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 tsk. And, you know that would match up really nicely. And um, the beat definitely turned out like busier than I would have thought it would work. You know, there's a lot going on in there, a lot of percussion, a lot of hi hats and tambourines. But you know, panned in the right way and put in the right level, it all works together. yeah and and again just trying to bring her vocal into our world there's another good example there where i've just taken a tiny bit of her voice and put that in a sampler and then the ah so you only really hear that at the end of the tune but it's going on the whole time and i think that that sort of thing's important you know just bringing her world into the drum kit just little moments like that you know just it's important and I think we learned that from listening to a lot of UK garage. That Mm -hmm, was a classic mm -hmm. garage trick is just take that little ooh or ah and put it through a sampler, put it in the drums, you know, put it in that space. Um, So yeah, that's that. I think the other thing to talk about that's important is the bass. The bass line Mm -hmm. in this song is so bouncy and so skippy. There is two basses going on in this tune. There's a big old sine wave underneath that's been played on the uh, the Repro 1 synth. It's a plug-in version of the Repro 1, but... Such a fat sounding synth, uh, as you can hear, it's just massive sub. Bit of modulation as well, and lots of saturation and overdrive. And then over the top of that, to kind of cover the harmonics above it, you've got a bass guitar, which is here.
0: So is that Howard?
3: No, it's a plug-in as well, yeah. So Howard would have played in the bass line on, a, on the sub, and then I've just sort of put it on different instruments to just make sure it pops out. So because yeah, I, I would
2: have played it on a MIDI keyboard, and then we just made it sound like a bass guitar Yeah, bass. it's a really right. good
3: plug-in called Ample Bass. Um, they do amazing stuff. That, for dance music, it sounds realistic enough, mm. you know, especially when it's hidden in the mix like that, but it just covers that kind of 100, 200 hertz-y territory where you need that warmth. Because like, if I play the, the beat... I'll just mute her vocals but if i play it all without the bass guitar being in it's a huge difference the subs all there you know in the club it would feel the same but all that warmth is gone and then with the bass so you know it's not adding any more like weight underneath it but it's just you can hear the notes a lot clearer.
2: That's the thing for me um, often with making dance music is people use a sine wave for their bass lines and so I'm always like well what is the note like because it's really hard to hear what note is being played with a sine wave especially down in the subby range so to have something like a bass guitar or even like you know a synth sound it really allows you to play low notes and not lose the harmonic power of the bass Um, Yeah. yeah it's important I think. It's a
3: busy baseline too, but it's it, really busy. It's yeah. Really busy, yeah. I think that's something we we try and not do is make you know every part try and be too show off. But that's definitely a show off baseline.
2: In my it opinion, is, yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, it is. I mean, you see, when I heard it, you know, I was visualizing you know one of you fingers going crazy, <laughs> doing this amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I and mean, I well, yes. you could play that.
2: Yeah, I could play that. I think it just. If we were doing it in a live show, I'd definitely play it on yeah. the bass
3: guitar. It would be hard to get tight.
2: Yeah, it's just with dance music, the sub is such a key part that you don't want it really on a bass guitar because you'd want every note to hit exactly the same level of sub. So you'd have to compress it really hard or something. And I, yeah, it's just easier to use this synth bass for this one. Mm.
0: And all of that, was all of that done really
2: quickly? With the two of yes. you working together. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah.
3: That would have all been done in a day or in an afternoon, yeah, a couple of hours perhaps. That uh,
2: baseline, I think we would have written that in like ten minutes, yeah. for sure. And then just looped it.
3: <laughs> but like we said, we probably wrote twenty other tunes that didn't get used yeah. to get to this one. So combine all of that. You know, it's not quite as simple as it sounds.
2: So. Yeah, we should just not mention the other tunes. Like, yeah, we just whack <laughs> yeah, this together. Yeah, that's yeah, fine. Don't worry about it.
3: Yeah, Sergeant <laughs> Pepper star. Did it all in two weeks. Yeah. Don't worry about it. But yeah, the drums and the programming and the mixing and the automation. I mean, there's so much automation in this song of synths rising and falling, delays mm-hmm. and reverbs coming up and going down, filters, you know, her vocal at start, you know, starting down here.
5: You know, all
3: that kind of stuff. That takes months. I think I spent maybe three months, mm. four months, just coming back, tweaking something, leaving it, come back, tweak something, leave it. Like I'm a big believer in don't mess with it too much if you haven't got fresh ears. You yeah, know? just
2: little short, sharp bursts of yeah.
3: engage. And then I would have done like a kind of final fresh mix once all mm. the album was written, just to make sure it was sounding cohesive. Not drastically, just, you know, EQ mostly and compression. But yeah, because once we'd written eight other songs that were all with different singers it's quite hard to bring that cohesion i mean it's something i've always struggled with with disclosure records is getting the mix balanced because you've got a different singer on every track so Mm. you know that requires different frequencies to be ducked out or put in and all that kind of really technical stuff so yeah it's difficult it's always important that we have a foundation that sounds very disclosurey mm. because the different singers over the top provide enough difference, you know, per song. You don't go and see the stones and then expect Mick Jagger to play like trumpet on the next tune. You know, it's like he does what he does, Keith does what he does. And I think, you know, in dance music there's a kind of perception that every song you've got to have completely new, fresh, different sounds and new textures every time. And I don't necessarily agree with that when you're using different singers on every mm-hmm. track. Like you want that foundation under there that people go, Oh yeah, that sounds like disclosure. And I think, you know, that straight away definitely does and then you've got this vocal that's not even in english coming in over the top and Mm -hmm. i thought you know we had the impression or at least the idea that that people would be like whoa okay that's different yeah and uh, and
2: another thing you know is like we've definitely got a like a sound palette that I would associate with us like that synth sound that you just played for example but also something else that we have that gives us a bit of identity is the fact that we write all the music you know like there's a lot of producers who well there's a lot that only sample so that limits you because you have to like choose ones that sound like you i guess or something but then there's also loads of producers that just get other people to write the songs so it's like well if you pick a different person to write your song every time you're going to end up with a completely different style of songwriting or chord choice or whatever so I think we can't help but sound like us, you know, because most of the music comes from us in the first place. And we have tendencies because we're humans. So it's a weakness. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's also part of having an identity. And I think you're right. Yeah, you know, exactly. That identity is really important. And especially if you are going to use lots of different vocalists and work with different people in that way, um, then you know, your own identity has to be maintained. But at the same time, that's the interesting thing, because I think, you know, with the two of you, and you can think of other examples, say like the Chemical Brothers, whatever they do sounds like them, even though they mm-hmm. might be going completely out of their comfort zone and, and welcoming in yeah. somebody from a completely different world, somehow it always ends up sounding like them. And and with Disclosure, yeah. it's a similar kind of trait. But, you know, that's what's so exciting, because people turn to Disclosure for a certain kind of sound or, you know, a certain approach somehow. With this track, mm. once you'd started working on it, how engaged was Fatimata in what was happening? Because, it, Guy, you mentioned, oh, I think she'll be really excited hearing herself mm. through a vocoder. She won't have heard that before.
3: <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I guess. Maybe she has, but honestly, she wasn't. Like, when we did Ultimatum too. she just hands over the vocal and she's just happy to let us get on with it. And mm. I think that we're more excited to show her the finished product rather than something halfway yeah. through. Um, and, yeah, it's not that we wouldn't hear her out if she had something to say or change but i'd rather hear that at the end when we've got it as best we can yeah and then she could critique i it. think
2: so far we've done good enough job that she's been happy with the end result yeah whereas, we got some trust but i i think if she didn't like something that we'd done she would tell us yeah. um so it's, it's good to know you know i feel like we've got that relationship where we, she would give feedback if she felt she needed to but luckily so far she seems to really enjoy what we do so
0: Yeah, well, it works a treat. So, I mean, the full title is Dooha, Marley Marley, but Guy, you were referring to it just as Marley Marley. Is that just... Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Well, we were calling it Marley Marley as we were making it, because that's the name of the original song. Then when it came to actually releasing it, it felt wrong to call it the name of the original song, because she's already got that version, you know, and that's hers, so... We asked her what she thought would be a really like a suitable name. And she sent a few examples of, you know, words in Malian. And Doa was the one that stood out. I think it means blessing. It translates roughly as blessing. And I think that's, you know, again, you know, it suits the vibe of the tune. It's a positive sounding song. And we just wanted Marley, Marley in brackets because that's what we've been calling it this whole time. Uh, yeah. And it's like, you know, it's the main hook bit of the song, as well. It's the bit people sing. So yeah, that's how the name came about.
0: Yeah so um before we move on shall we hear the finished version of the song yeah sure i'll skip into it
3: a little bit but yeah we can do that
0: What we've got to imagine is that we're all going absolutely crazy now, waving our arms in the air, (laughs) and uh, somewhere in another part of the world, Patamata's doing the same thing. (laughs) Whenever this is played, she starts dancing. It's uh, irresistible. So, I mean, it's a great position to be in, isn't it? To have that kind of ongoing relationship with an amazing artist like Fatumata. Definitely, man. I mean, it's a position that you've built for yourselves, though, in a way, through your success and through your work. And it's intriguing because, um, Howard, you mentioned that, you know, you started music tech at college. Gar, you mentioned that Howard then got kicked out because you <laughs> were already out on the road touring. <laughs> yeah. In terms of this education that you missed out, clearly, though, from the way that you're talking, you have educated yourselves in the ways of the studio and in the ways of the modern studio. And also in terms of the musical language that the two of you are using to discuss your work, it's clearly extensive and has a lot of depth to it. How did you pick up all of that? I mean, is this you alone at night with a YouTube tutorial?
3: Well, Um, the music tech course that we took at Sixth Form College was pretty much like a crash course in the basics of using Logic Pro on a Mac, so that helped a lot just in terms of getting you going you know learning keyboard shortcuts and just the basics eq compression we spent a lot of time learning how to mic up a drum kit cuz our teacher was always like this is the hardest thing to do in recording if you can mic up a drum kit and record it well you can do most things so that was good and so yeah I, after that though in terms of learning things outside of logic like other plugins other techniques especially you know learning about analog studios you know what tape saturation does what different types of compressor add to different parts of the song that's um that's something that like we weren't taught and that was all through me you know exploring different plugins and just asking questions and i would say youtube played a huge role in that like 100 percent. i'm a fan of just if you run into a problem literally type that problem into youtube someone's made a video about solving it which is great to have now you know i think you know people ask us a lot if i want to be an artist should i just get out there and start or should i get an education and should i do a degree and you know if you want to be a sound man a sound designer you know work in a studio you're going to need some kind of qualification i think but if you want to be an artist like with youtube out there now that's a difficult decision to make man you know the debt is there do you need the debt over a free youtube education i don't know you definitely need something at the start just a basic crash course but even that's on youtube now i don't know it's difficult to say And you know, the software is so good now and affordable. I believe Ableton, you know, over lockdown was free for like ages. So that's incredible. You know, if we were kids and we could have got Ableton for free Mm. with all the plugins, that would have been fantastic. So yeah, yeah, that's great. I think, you know, that's part of the reason why we're doing these breakdowns, like what we're doing now. and, And we're doing a lot of live streams talking about this is because we want kids to see, you know, laptops are more affordable now, software is free. You can start doing this at home in your bedroom, like we did, you know, there's no magic secret. Apart from, you know, you need those ideas, the ideas don't come for free, the machines won't make the initial idea for you, but putting it onto paper is getting easier and easier and more accessible, and
2: that's, that's great. Yeah, and I think also, musically, getting a degree or not, it's not, you know, neither way is correct, you know, like, I didn't get a degree in music, and I consider myself a musician, but getting a degree in, let's say, jazz, it will hugely influence the type of music that you make and so it's just you know what kind of music do you want to make if you want to make very complicated jazz that's really sophisticated harmonically maybe you should get a degree and learn more about how to do that and learn about brass arrangements and things and the harmony even like how to technically speak about that but um, but then you know I'd also argue that two or three of the jazz musicians that I'm close with didn't get a degree in jazz and they don't know how to say like this chord or that chord but they know how to play it and if you tell them like you know it's this chord they know exactly what you mean they just don't know the name for it so yeah i think you know either path is good just depends on what you feel you need like you know we were brought up in a musical family where we would jam all the time and we'd all listen to music actively speaking about it you know saying like oh this song's good because of this bass line and then we'd all listen to that bass line or whatever um So we got a lot of background knowledge that way from uh, listening and from learning songs, you know, like hearing a Jamiroquai song and being like, I'm going to learn the bass line from that, or hearing an Aqualung song and thinking I'm going to work that out on the piano. But if you didn't grow up like that, I would say getting an education in music would be a really good idea because not only would you be taught the technicalities of it all, but you'd also meet a bunch of other musicians that you can discuss that stuff with, which is super important. I've learned just as much from speaking with fellow musicians about music than I have from sitting down and actually studying.
0: Yeah, but at the same time, your immersion is a big thing, isn't it? You know, if from a family background, mm-hmm. you're immersed in music, yeah. listening and looking mm-hmm. and discussing it in such a way and then continuing that with everybody that you came across. It's immersing yourself and putting in those hours, fiddling around with the equipment mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, to try and get it to do certain things. And and when I say equipment, that could be just a piano or it could be a software program. Yeah. Um, but if you've got to put in the hours to get the results. Exactly. Then, like, and I
2: feel like, you know, doing a degree in music is one way that you can force yourself to put in those hours, but it's not the only way, you know, mm. like look at all the best jazz musicians of all time. Look at Miles Davis. It's like, he didn't do a degree. It's like, he <laughs> like just, just put in a lot of hours of practice, man. And he had that talent in the first place. So yeah, it depends on the person, you know, there's not like a one size fits all route to being a musician. It's It's the opposite.
0: Yeah, it is interesting, though, and it's clear from um, the way you talk about it that you take it very seriously and that you put in a lot of time getting on top of what you're trying to do to achieve what you want to do because it must be very frustrating when you think, oh, I can't get this to work mm. because I don't know how to make yeah. it work, so I've got to learn how to make well, it work. Well, I just
3: have nothing else that I feel that is as fulfilling in life as I do doing this. So, you know, why wouldn't you put in all of your time and effort into something that, you know, gives you that feeling that's what everyone's looking for right you want to get up in the morning and do something you love every day so you know it's not even a choice it's not even really hard work it's just like this needs to be done before i can sleep tonight you know Mm, mm. it's like you know there's a big mess in the lounge you need to tidy up right it's only so long you can put that off you have to do it eventually and that's how i see especially arranging and mixing and producing final songs it's you know all the mixing especially like i love that feeling of everything being put in its right Mm. place you know
2: i'm quite a tidy person so. Whereas I hate doing that stuff. Right? And <laughs> yeah, that's, that and that's much that's, more yeah. ideas
3: and like throwing. Well, and that's where own. we
2: work well together, you know, because I'm happy to spend hours working out the correct harmony of a vocal, right? But I'd hate to sit and EQ a hi-hat for 10 minutes. It would bore me to death. <laughs> and like, I think the pleasure that you get from doing something is a really good indicator of what you should be practicing because you know it's the same with like exercise for example it's like if you choose a form of exercise that you hate you'll probably end up sacking it off and not bothering to do it whereas if you choose something that you really enjoy and that is fun like a sport or whatever you're way more likely to get up and do it and so that's why we've ended up with the roles that we have within the band because i really enjoy listening to a song by someone and sitting down and working out what chords are these actually on the piano and whereas Guy prefers listening to a mix and being like how did they achieve that sound with that clap and like experimenting with that more and just imitating people who are better than you man it's a really good way of getting better
0: Mm, fascinating how lucky that you complement each other so well it would have been a nightmare if you both wanted to do the same thing yeah yeah um, that's the problem with Oasis yeah (laughs) exactly you know different brothers different problem (laughs) You may have heard us talk about Tape It before, and if you haven't, then let me fill you in as they are the sponsor of today's episode with a fantastic offer for you. Tape It is an iPhone recording app made by musicians for musicians. Many of our guests on Take Notes, music industry friends and listeners rely on voice notes to record their early ideas. People like the Lumineers, Ezra Collective and Fred again have all shared recordings with us made on voice notes. But what you wouldn't have heard are the long pauses where they're searching for those recordings. We wouldn't want to put you through that. As you can understand, organizing and finding the right notes, let alone a specific part, can be a nightmare. Tape It solves all of that voice memo chaos with intuitive labeling features, including automatic instrument detection, markers, and collaborative mixtapes, meaning you can share band practices, organize set lists, and brainstorm ideas with co-writers and band members. Plus, you can record straight from your lock screen and attach text and photo notes to each recording. Did you do it? Honestly, Tape It is fantastic. All of the Tape Notes team members are complete converts. And excitingly, some of our guests have started to use it as well. So I really would recommend checking it out. (laughs) So the next song we're going to look at is Who Knew, which features Mick Jenkins, Mm -hmm. a name I'm unfamiliar with how did this one start and come about? Yeah
2: so um, at the beginning of the writing of the album we put together this big list uh, which we've kind of done for every record so far and it's a list of people that we're listening to so we just go through our iTunes or our Spotify and just find like who we're into at the moment and then we'll give that list to our management and they'll hit everyone up on the list and just be like who out of you guys wants to do a session with us and yes you know some people say no some people say yes and luckily Mick was someone that said yes and We knew Mick's music. You know, we were a fan. I was particularly a fan of his song Jazz, which I think maybe it was in an advert or something. I can't remember how I found it now. It's an amazing song, you know, and his rapping on it is awesome. And that's why we wanted to work with him. But when we got in the session, we didn't even know Mick could sing. I just thought he was a rapper and I was excited to do the session for that. But as soon as we started messing around, we started jamming. I was playing those chords and Guy had the two-step kind of beat. He just started singing in this beautiful falsetto voice. And we were like, no way, like this guy can sing. This is going to yeah. be so much fun.
3: Yeah, it was also the first time he'd ever been familiarized with UK Garage as a genre. Yeah, so yeah. I think maybe he just thought this will work with falsetto singing. Let's go with that. Yeah. You know, that's a beautiful thing. Like wow. We like working with people who aren't necessarily familiar, not just with us, but with the entire genre mm-hmm. that we are so inspired by. You know, he's from Chicago, so he knows house music and, you know, that kind of thing. But specifically uk garage he was definitely not familiar with and that's fine with us you know that's great because that person will always bring you know something very fresh to the session because you know they're not really tied to any which way of thinking like Mm -hmm. this will be uk garage when it has xyz it's just more like you guys make this cool music i haven't heard before here's what i do See if it works over the top. Yeah, and that's that's
2: exactly what we had on our first record and with the stuff before that, you know, because we didn't really know any garage. We might have known, like... The hits like Artful Dodger or Sweet Light like Chocolate and that stuff. But we definitely weren't garage heads growing up because we were a bit too young for that. We missed it first time around. And so we started making these songs not really knowing that we were making something like Garage. And so we did stuff like Latch, you know, and we just made it in six, eight. And we were like, does that still count? Like, <laughs> can we still call that Garage? And people loved it, you know, because they hadn't heard that before. It hadn't really been done in that way. So Yeah, we love working with people who don't know anything about Garage. It's really fun because they, like I said, they bring you a surprise element sometimes. But we played Mick at the start of the session. We played Mick like a bunch of the hits. Guy called it a Garage Starter Pack. And um, it was like, you know, all those classics that you would get on like some Ministry of Sound compilation that we love, you know, and are the basis of Garage. And uh, he loved it. You know, he was like, yeah, this is cool. Like, let's write. And that's the beauty of music is it transcends genre and background and knowledge. If you're a musician, you can jam with anyone from any genre. And so, you know, I started playing chords, Guy started playing drums, and Mick started singing, and we ended up with this song.
3: Yeah, a very jam-based song. Amazing. This one. You'll hear it especially in the structure of the song. It's a very unconventional structure. Yeah, um, it was
2: awesome to write with Mick as well as a songwriter because often when someone is a really good singer, like they're really technically able as a singer, there's this temptation for them to... Oversing for one, but also to like just try and fill every gap with their voice. So, like, anytime there's silence, they'll like just put something in, even if it doesn't necessarily need that. I think that partly comes from wanting to fit in lyrics. You know, like if you've got a bunch of lyrics and you want to fit in a particular meaning, you want to use all that space to do it. Whereas Mick, coming from more of a rap background, coming up with words for him seemed easy, man. Like, he was essentially just freestyling these lyrics. Words are his bread and butter you know like he's used to coming up with words very easily whereas melodies maybe a bit less so so like it freed us up to be able to really focus in on like using melodies when they needed to be there and then using space and just leaving space when it didn't need it and because we were doing it in that jam kind of format like i'd be playing a synth and maybe it would like swell up and be a bit louder at one point he would just stop singing I just wait for it to go back down and then he'd come back in and it was like this really organic process and and like i said it led to a very unorthodox structure so i think we should hear something yeah yeah sure let's do it
0: so where did the session take place was this in la yeah, yeah.
3: Capitol yeah. records studio d upstairs <laughs>
0: and so when you're playing drums guy on something like this is it just you operating a mouse or are you triggering pads you no know, how do you approach um, it I and mean, how physical do you like to get
3: yeah I like to play pads or just keys on a MIDI keyboard like I'll usually just map a load of snares to one instance of a sampler, a load of hi-hats to another. I usually make my kick drums out of like a synth. You know, I'll usually synthesize the kick drum and then layer a couple of acoustic ones over the top just so I can get the pitch in the right key and get it bending the way I want it to. You know, if it's an 808 style kick and you just need a big boom, that's one thing. But if you want it to like bend down and be more punchy, like then you have to tweak the synth. And I like having all that control rather than just browsing through hundreds of kicks till you find the right one. So yeah, I can usually knock out a beat in I don't know, 20, 30 minutes that I'm pretty happy to start writing to. He's and
2: underplaying that as well. It's like fully mixed at that point.
3: Yeah, no, <laughs> that's practice, man. Practice. No, I don't know about that. It
2: sounds fully mixed to me, yeah. Yeah. Well, this
3: tune's different, though, because this one is built around a loop. So this loop is from an old school garage producer called Jeremy Sylvester, who's one of my favorites mm-hmm. and Howard's favorites. Yeah. He's, a, he's an absolute G. He's, he's an unsung hero, I would say. But He's a
2: master of garage drums. He
3: is, man. And he's got a, a huge license-free, royalty-free sample pack website online and so yeah we got a ton of his loops off there and they just give you that aesthetic that you can't really get from programming drums without it going through a bunch of like i don't know npcs or older sounding computers and then also like onto vinyl i think a lot of this is sort of ripped off of vinyl back Mm -hmm. onto the computer you just can't get those squelchy hi-hats without it being put onto vinyl you know there's no plug-in that does it and i really wanted this to sound authentically old and authentically two-step you know rather than it being a modern version of it I wanted it to sound like a total throwback like an ode to the genre and yeah that all came from this loop
0: it's very generous of Jeremy to put that out there it
3: is right yeah he's a good guy so that's the bones of the loop and then I added this big kick over the top so I'm giving it that swing few stops in there boom there's actually two kicks in there a skippy one and a big 808 style one so that's taking it away from it you know it could have easily been tss, 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 but it would felt way too fast we're at 139 bpm here so it felt right to make it a little bit more half time um yeah layered up over those we've got another snare just backing it up Yeah, those. So, more skippiness going on. And then a hi-hat over the top. Just widening it out a bit. Lots of crackle and hiss. Got all this in here as well. I don't know if you can hear this. This is added by us. So, you know, again, I just don't feel like an old garage tune is finished unless it's got a bunch of tape piss and crackle over the top. It's got
2: to sound like it's on vinyl. Yeah, yeah.
3: even if you have to synthesize that and add it, you know, which I guess some purists would be like, that's stupid. But I don't know, man, we're huge fans of Burial. (laughs) All purists have that nasal
2: voice, by the way.
3: (laughs) Yeah, they do. (laughs) Well, we're big fans of Burial, and he did that very well, you know, sampling rain and, like, people talking in a cafe and Mm. and, yeah, crackly vinyl. And, yeah, you know, even though it's not actually coming from the record all my favourite songs yeah. sound like they're coming We've off We've had record.
2: Crackly Vinyl on our songs since the first Which song they we were. ever made. we yeah. always done
3: it. <laughs> you know, a lot of our favourite songs from Al Green to Stevie to Michael Jackson, you know, we were listening to those off of records when we were kids. Yeah, you know, yeah. Our parents' record collection mm-hmm. and if you clean those up too much, they don't sound like the same song anymore. You know, you need I've been those. listening
2: to songs recently, like oh, annoyingly, like the artist name has escaped me. But there's this beautiful singer-songwriter, and they're Portuguese, and they're writing kind of traditional, like Brazilian sounding music. I guess you would call it like Brazilian jazz. And it's just like if they had have released it in the 70s, it would be considered like a jazz standard by now, you know. But because it's so new and so polished sounding and the microphone is so good and the vocals really up front and the piano's like you can hear every hammer hitting every string. It loses the magic, man. It's like you're hearing this uh, plastic version of what could have been this beautiful yeah. antique record. And so, yeah, we're trying to make sure we never sound too clean.
3: <laughs> yeah, that's it. I'm looking for imperfections now, not yeah. perfections, you know. And that's another yeah. thing with this song there's a lot of that a lot of skippiness and a lot of pauses a lot of random bits where we just take the drums out because just felt like it mix doing something yeah. get out the way back in you know it's almost like a, a dj way of thinking you know chucking loops in here and there or an acapella in here or there it's which is very garish <laughs> i guess
0: so yeah that's the drums all doing their thing and so that drum set up you were creating that On the hoof with Mick there? Yeah, Yeah, I think so. Maybe I
3: just pulled up a few loops when he got there after playing him the Garage Starter Pack. Yeah. And (laughs) I I think we all decided we liked that one the best, but it was 4-4 and that was the only qualm i had with it was it needs to be a two-step beat it's too intense as 4-4 so mm -hmm. that was the main change was adding in those kick drums
2: because it's also it's really fast for a garage tune 139 fastest (laughs) tune on the album garage is rarely that fast it was only when the producers started taking a lot more drugs that they got that fast yeah this is basically dubstep tempo you know like 140 is generally where you put dubstep so he wanted to go like almost half time like that but still keep that two-step feel yeah
0: And you can definitely hear a burial influence on this song, I think.
3: Yeah, there's definitely burial influence in there for sure. I mean, in everything we do, everything, but much yeah. more upfront in this one. Yeah, in terms of the just the sound space. I don't think he would have written a song like this as yeah, such. But... I
2: think Burial, for me anyway, mm. he was the first person to make Garage retrospectively and actually improve on the sounds. You know, yeah. like he took the original sounds and he clearly has like an incredibly deep knowledge of original Garage. And he made it in a new way that I actually thought was superior to a lot of those old records, you know, because the equipment's different now and you've got so much more accessible. And so we've always been influenced by that because we're doing the same thing in some respects, especially in drums. Mm -hmm.
3: Yeah, another similarity between this song and some other tunes on the album is, again, as a vocoder. So vocoder became a bit of a staple for this album, I would say. It's not something we've used since Ultimatum. I didn't really notice Uh, that
2: in the writing process, but it totally is on most songs, isn't it? It's just these
3: two. Is it just these Yeah, I think so. Right. No, it felt not... like
2: I used it a lot. Yeah.
3: No, just these two, but I think it just fitted the sonic space, didn't it? And again, I think it being Mick and him being unfamiliar with the genre, I'm just trying to bring him in and, you know, get him yeah. I mean I remember playing him it through the vocoder for the first yeah, time. Yeah. His face was like full stank face, you know. Like, <laughs> oh. Yeah. So I sold him. We sold him on the sound. And it's actually two vocoders <laughs> this time. It's the Logic stock vocoder and the Isotope vocal synth. So yeah, here's um well, I'll give you a bit of his vocal first to give you an idea of what's happening. Mm. So it's basically an A-B song. There's like a whole sung first verse into a rap and then a B section which repeats throughout. Um, so here's the A section.
1: what you do to me? I can't fake it. I can't break this spell, I won't let go Ooh, no.
3: So yeah, really beautiful, tender, airy singing And then it goes into this like more intense rap section
1: no. What to do, I just can't some ways, some in my bag. way back when a nigga didn't have no sense, you was a egg face it. I gonna-
3: So yeah, it's intense, you know, it's like a wall of sound hitting you at that point. So hmm. it just goes straight into a break after that, into a kind of that sample that goes throughout the whole song, the Who Knew sample, which is so burial.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's definitely that's it. a
3: direct riff of about yeah. yeah. <laughs> Here it is with the music.
1: I'm
0: just thinking how amazing it must have been to get Mick in, thinking that he was going to do some kind of a rap, mm-hmm. and then he starts singing that. Mm. Which sounds so beautiful, yeah, yeah. You know, it must have been looking at each other, thinking, "Hang on, hang on a minute." Well, Mick. yeah, a, in a way, incredible.
2: we were surprised, but then in another way, we weren't, you know, because it's like, well, yeah, he's a musician, like, of course he can sing. Like every mm. musician can sing a bit. There's no one that can't sing at all who can play an instrument. You know, everyone has got a voice. It's just, I think, more of the surprise was just how nice his voice was. But you know, mm. singing's the language we're most familiar with in songwriting. You know, rapping is we're less familiar with it we grew up in surrey we listen to it all the time but we never write it this album's the first time where we've actually written rap lyrics you know but um but again you know it's songwriting songwriting and um if you can do one kind you can transfer it very easily to another genre yeah
3: so here he is with the vocoder so yeah just uh bringing him into that different world and then yeah we move on to this b section which is kind of a call and response type thing i could go like the trees
1: i could show you i could change you wanna go i'll make a stand i show my hand. if you don't we could roll like the smoke that it is and we'll be gone on 13, it's when the vibe starts setting in like
3: the trees, I can show you, I can change, if you wanna go, we'll make a stand. I'll show my hand. If you don't, we can roll, like the smoke, that it is, and we'll be gone. Crazy baseline. Like the trees, I can show you, I can change, if you wanna go, we'll make a stand.
1: I'll show my hand. If you don't, we can roll, like the smoke, that it is, and we we'll gonna gone, i in. That's what a pound starts in. <laughs> yeah. Sick.
3: Yeah, there's loads of mad sound design going on with this, especially in the bass. Like, as you heard on the drop there, does this huge build-up. And then this one. Yeah, you know, it's just poking through the gaps where he's not singing, and um, yeah, that was fun to work on. But yeah, it's a really unusual rhythm, that vocal. That's my favourite part about it. You know, I think only a rapper would come up with that kind of yeah. crazy the way it lands over the beat you know the beats already quite busy and mm-hmm. he's just kind of staggering that uh, well that's duh, the duh,
2: thing duh, duh, as well duh, Is duh, like duh, you duh. know we keep saying that this bit's the rap bit but actually he's singing all of it yeah, you know? he's it's singing. all like in a note it's just mm-hmm. the flows that he's choosing are such rap flows a singer would never write that rhythm so it makes you think it's a rap but he's in tune the whole time so where'd you draw the line you know yeah, <laughs> yeah, so
3: it's a blur it's a blur between singing yeah. and, and then yeah he goes on from there to the little vocoder solo
0: You are making me think that this chemistry between you all just seems to create this magic quite instantly. You know, just the three of you in the room Mm -hmm. with an idea of what you're trying to do and you get this joy. You know, it's fantastic. Well, like
3: we said, this is one of 200. So that doesn't always happen. But that's like (laughs) that was the critique. That was what made the album. We're only going to choose the tunes when that happens, you know. Meaning aside, you know, lyrics aside, there's no real lyrical theme that runs throughout energy and really any of our albums. That's something that we struggle with. You know, we don't ever, well, not struggle with, we just don't, we're not interested in that. Mm -hmm. You know, the concept album is a great idea, but when you're working with a different singer every time and you don't want to tell them what to sing, you know, you want to write it with them. You're never going to make a, you know, homogenous album Mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. It's going to be varied and you're going to have different ideas. You know, we'll write lyrics anywhere from how's your day going to, is there any deep like underlying message in your life right now you need to get out and so that's impossible to tell everyone what to do but musically yeah i mean we'll just let the idea flow out of us you know we don't try and fight it we just try and let it happen and yeah i think the reason for that is there's no limit to how many tunes you can make you know you've got unlimited hard drive space now unlimited resources it's not like back in the day where you'd book a studio for two weeks really expensive studio and run out of tape yeah you've got to run out of tape or you've got to run out of label money it's you know we just write and write and write and eventually you'll get one like this which is beautifully simple one synth one bass line one drum kit singing rapping over the top and it just all flows nicely and then you know i spent this song i'm probably proudest of on the whole record production wise because there's just so many crazy sound design moments that i would just not have been able to do when Mm. we made settle and even the last album it's something i've only really learned to do in the last like three four years I would say like moments like this I would never have been able to program
0: It's interesting that you say that. Why don't you think you'd have been able to program them then?
3: I would have the idea in my head, and I would have probably been able to program a half-assed version of it that was kind of doing what I wanted it to do. But I just didn't have the knowledge of the plugins. I didn't have the knowledge of the effects. Well, didn't have the money to buy the plugins. You know, lots of problems like that in the way. Maybe the patience too. I mean, this song was a real labor of love to get everything in the right space and panning in the right way and you know build-ups like that with all that stereo-ness going on none of it's by chance it's not me just throwing the sound through some plugins and seeing what happens it's like i've got the idea in my head and i'm searching for the plugin or the effect or whatever that will make it happen yeah. that just takes a long time to I find think
2: that that concept of having an idea in your head and trying to use all of the tools at your disposal to get it out and not change it in some way it runs throughout all of music especially in terms of you know writing a melody on an instrument because often like if i'm playing bass just to give this a bit of backstory i don't really play bass at all anymore i play keys all the time so i used to be good at bass and i now kind of suck and uh i'll be like sat there and i'll have an idea in my head for what should come out but i don't have the technical ability to play it you know so like Welcome to my whole yeah, life. Yeah, right? But, then, but it swapped because I used to have that same problem with chords where like I would know in my mind the feeling that I wanted to get from the chords and roughly like what they should be. But I didn't know enough chords on the piano to actually execute that. I didn't know what they yeah. were supposed to be. I'd try and get something close and sometimes accidentally get something really cool like latch which was a whole bunch of weird chords. But like now it's switched where i can get chords out when i want them and i can't play them on the bass anymore so yeah yeah, guys now got to a point where he can hear a production trick yeah i can present present what
3: i want to present and get it out correct and i'm sure in 10 years i'll look back and think oh god you couldn't do half the stuff you wanted to do you just didn't realize it but you know i'm at the point now where well look we're taking this track apart right now you know i'm perfectly happy for people to have a look behind the curtain and that was not the case at the start Mm. you know i was not comfortable with letting people know that i had pretty limited knowledge and Pretty much only using the stock plugins that came with the software. And now I'm proud of that. Now I look back and think, you know what? You made tunes that people really liked on a budget in your mum's house. And and I
2: think that's something that we're actively working on is just trying to be more honest as artists, you know, trying to be more open now. Because I remember back in the day, you know, I was like 15 in these nightclubs filled with like proper dance heads who knew like all these old records I had no idea about. And they'd be like, oh, yeah, like, you know, that tune that you just played, it sounded like this Rosca tune that I like. (laughs) And I'd be like, Oh, okay you know and i like pretend i knew that record it's like yeah yeah i know oh, yeah man i know that one you know, like pretend like you were ahead as well and they'd obviously clock straight away that you weren't and it was just this stupid thing and it's like well why is it bad that i don't know that record you're know, like what's the downside yeah. of that i'm still making tunes that you like so <laughs> it's like why am i hiding this
0: <laughs> yeah yeah but maybe that was all in your mind they probably weren't judging you at all they're probably
2: you know yeah, yeah amazed to be stood beside you and think how is he so young and yeah yet he's done the there's also, there's a lot of that as well there's a lot of like people name dropping their most underground track to like impress you and show that they know more music than you and really like i don't know any underground tracks these days like i'm completely out of i league. do guy knows yeah. a bunch yeah. i'm still
3: in touch with the scene because yeah. i like to know what people are able to do now you know it's come on such a long way and the technology is so good i do like to hear what people are doing with the latest technology but you know songwriting classic songwriting you know that is what it is and that has to come from your brain but yeah you know if there's like a new flash plug in out I've got to try it yeah I like dip in a toe whereas I'm much more
2: like you know Mm. I dig into older archives of songwriting because there's so much of it you know like songwriting's been the same for at least 50 years now it's like you just have to write something honest and try and make the melodies and the chords beautiful among that Mm. and it's not about like oh which one is the least known like as if like knowing this old obscure song makes you better than someone else or something like that. It's like, someone tells me a song I don't know. I'm like, cool man, thanks. I'm going to check it out. Like, it's not like, oh my God, you're cool. All of our favorite, well, not all, let's say
3: like 90% of our favorite dance records aren't underground. They're the massive hits. They're the ones (laughs) that like made it out and made it onto the radio, you know, like, gypsy woman or like we said earlier artful dodger mj cole you know daft punk yeah yeah, you know those are our our inspirations and nowadays you know people like james blake people who have made a big impact on Mm. the scene and that is because the music is the best like it just is you know and sometimes there'll be gems that'll be in the underground and only exist there and you'll be like how is that not bigger yeah but yeah. honestly uh, yeah we've kind of let go of that way of thinking a bit more i still buy a lot of vinyl and you know i like playing out underground i like playing up and comers out in the mm-hmm. set you know mm-hmm. i like playing people that we believe will become bigger but you know the idea of playing something just because it's unknown yeah uh, we've just let go of i that. think
2: it's because we got a taste of our own medicine you know like we started off copying and getting inspired by people from an underground scene. And then our music got on the radio. And so suddenly our music wasn't considered underground. And we were like, oh, what? Like, but it's the same music. Like it was underground a month ago. And now because Annie Mac played it, it's no longer underground. It's like, <laughs> what? how does that make sense?
3: Um, <laughs> also, I think the uh, it doesn't matter too much, man. You know, people overthink that scene. And, you know, like I said, all your, your favorites are who your favorites are. Ours happen to be the ones who make crossovers that dip into I just worlds. I don't
2: care if music is popular or not. It just needs to be good. And that's the same like, mm. criteria that we use to choose the artists that we're going to work with, you know. It's like, I don't care where you're from. I don't care what kind of music it is. I just want to know that you're making it and that it's good and I'm in, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm I don't want to see
3: on the credits 70 other people yeah, I yeah, wasn't yeah. aware of. It's good to know that the artist is making it. That's really nice. We've got a bit off track here anyway, haven't we? Yeah, so yeah we should, have. we, uh, should, should we Should we go nice little the
0: there? <laughs> yeah, let's have a listen. Maybe um, should we recap with Who Knew and have a big blast of that so we can all get moving again? Sounds good. Ooh,
1: what you do to me? I can't break it. I can't break it. I want to go. Oh no, no, no Was out there by my own. You helped me get to know me. You know me well, I owe you. I know I won't hold back. I know I can't hold back, babe. Who oh, no, What you do? I just can't. Time wasted.
0: Well, I know I'm going to be exploring the work of Mick Jenkins now, thanks to your track. I'll be going back and trying to work out what he's put out there before, um, because that just sounds so great. Thank you. And it's really interesting, isn't it? I mean, this whole idea of genre or how you go about creating a particular piece of music and what it's designed for and you know i think you two are good examples of this idea that you no, know, you love dance music you make dance music but it isn't necessarily because you no know, you were out there in the rave for many years before you started yeah. making it it was the music that connected it wasn't necessarily the club or the situation mm. which you know maybe in the early days of, of dance music the club and the situation were very important but the way the music has spread over the you know 30 40 years of mm of house music, you no know, so many different generations have got into it at so many different ages. Mm-hmm. When you hear it and you like it and you're age 10, you're not going to be thinking, oh, this blows up at 4am. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <No>. yeah. <laughs> it depends
3: why you're going to the club, um, doesn't it? Are you going to the club, you know, to get wasted and have a great party of your friends? Is it someone's birthday? You know, fine, that's cool. But, mm. uh, you know, I would go to the club with a fake ID on a school night and turn up, you know, to school brutally tired just because I wanted to go and hear the music. You know, I was so in love with the music that was going on in like the late 2000s, early 2010s, because it was that time where dubstep was moving from just being about the bass lines into this more interesting harmonic space with people like Burial, Joy Orbison, James Blake, you know, even Subtract, who we toured with early on. That whole movement was so interesting to us because we always loved dubstep, but it was never something we wanted to make. It was just like, this is cool because it is truly like original sounding. You know, you've taken elements of Jamaican dub, and put it on a laptop on Fruity Loops and made this amazing new palette of sound. But there's not a lot of interesting harmonic things going on, you know? There's a bass and there's drums and a sample. Love it in the club, but then as soon as people like Joy Orbison and James Blake came along and that whole scene, like Hessel Audio, Hemlock, R&S, those labels were all releasing unbelievable stuff back then. Mm -hmm. Lone as well, to name a few. And that was what really made us go, ah, okay, yeah, this is something we actually need to make because... It's speaking to us on a level of real inspiration, you know. Like I said, I'm a drummer. I was in an indie band at the time with my schoolmates. How plays bass. It's not like we were familiar, but the music just spoke to us, and we were like, "This is now something important that we think we need to make." So, yeah,
0: that's how it happened. Fantastic! And you've done a clever link there, Guy, because you mentioned birth. Yeah, I just I thought that <laughs> that's when I that said it. <laughs> yeah, nice. All right, cool. Great segue. So. That was Who Knew, featuring Mick Jenkins. We're going to talk about Birthday now, as Guy Mm -hmm. so cleverly did that great segue. (laughs) And maybe, should we have a quick burst of Birthday so people can hear the song? Sure thing.
4: Oh, babe, oh, babe.
0: so i thought it'd be a good idea to get a feel of that because we're going in a different direction now so the majority of of energy is upbeat isn't it it's dance floor business um, but mm-hmm. there are a couple mm-hmm. of tunes uh, a couple of interludes and this particular song which take things downbeat and in a different kind of direction.
3: Yeah. The thing about it is it's actually 136 BPM. So technically it's the second fastest track on the album, but it's half time. So, you know, if it was, <coughs> yeah. it would be a little different story, but the <laughs> makes it much more bouncy, slower mm. tune. So that's the dubstep influence coming in there for sure. Mixed with some kind of UK garage hi hats, but it's definitely like we were going for a R&B vibe and very specifically like Brandy and Monica. I think as soon as we heard Sid's voice, we were like, you sound like Brandy. And then we hear Kalani's voice like, you sound like Monica. This is a great combination. I think and
2: Sid sounds like a Aaliyah, man. Or That's Aaliyah. the vibe that was yeah. in my head. That kind of era, yeah.
3: anyway. And, you know, having them on our production was a dream come true. We actually wrote this song in LA with Sid. It was mostly, well, it was all just me, Howard and Sid in the room until we had the full structured song. And then, yeah, a little further down the line, listening to it back, we thought it would be a a really nice idea to add it in as a duet. Mm. And we asked Sid, you know, who would you want to do a duet with? And she just, off the cuff, said, I could get Kalani. And we were like, what? Oh, yeah, whatever. You can get Kalani. Okay, whatever. And then, bam, two, three weeks later, the files are in our inbox. You know, stuff like that gets said a lot in the studio. Oh, we should get blah, 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 we should get this person. But she actually came through with the goods. And I think it's the only verse on the album which we weren't involved uh, in the writing but luckily Kalani being as incredibly talented as she is there was no need for us yeah it's weird
2: man cuz like we're such control freaks when it comes to that we always want to be involved in the writing of everything and so when we heard like oh yeah the Kalani thing might happen we were like yeah yeah you know if it does like we'll fly out and we'll write it with her and we just got an email with the parts and we were like oh right jesus so luckily like last I said it's so good that we literally didn't want to change one thing about it she like nailed the concept she nailed it melodically it's so different from the first verse i love what she did so uh we made an exception
0: did she record it with sid
2: no i think she did it in her own studio i think sid called her and just like told her what the song was about and then she just went off and wrote it yeah
3: but sid did a lot of her own recording so once we were done with the beat on logic or it was in a place to write to at least you know halfway there we put it into pro tools which is her Bread and butter and she knows very well she used to be a studio engineer she's also a dj like she's multi-talented and so yeah she knows pro tools like the back of her hand and so she would sit at the computer like we are now with a mic right in front of her and she'd be pressing record and be doing words and phrases and it was great we could just sit back and listen and we all had headphones on and we'd just say what we did and didn't like or where we thought it should and shouldn't go so that was new for us too you know usually it's me with my head stuck in a laptop for hours and this time I was able to be on the couch, luxurious <laughs> yeah, lifestyle. Got, like what the
2: it's couch. like to be me. Oh, yeah.
0: heaven! <laughs> That's quite a different way of working for you, then, isn't it? Yeah, you know, a, a nice break. Or, or was that nerve wracking too? Letting Sid take care of that.
3: It was totally not nerve wracking because she's so good at yeah. it. You know? when, when
2: she said she was going to, we were like, oh, I don't know yeah. about that. And then she, we saw like how well she knew. So professional. We like, okay, yeah. cool. Yeah. And she's, also she's Pro Tools. This.
3: You know, if anyone opens Pro Tools, I'm
2: already like. You know, I don't know what I'm yeah, doing. Yeah, so too.
3: it wasn't even, it didn't matter to me. Yeah. But yeah, she did a great job. We recorded it in Capitol through a lovely old Neumann mic, through a Neve desk. There's a nice Neve desk in the little room we used to use and a Tube Tech compressor. So super clean, nice, warm. And I think we probably whacked the treble up a fair amount to give it all that nice air in the top range because all those old Aaliyah, you know, Brandy Monica, I mean, even like Mariah Carey, those vocals have so much like... <sighs> in you know and we really wanted that vocal to float over the music and Mm -hmm. that's why the music's quite stripped back as well in this one and uh you know there's no like aggressive sounds in there there's nothing really above like 500 hertz it's all very sine wave warm twinkly sounds and so lots of space for their vocals to just float over the top so yeah i guess we should just start Mm -hmm. with the vocals here's sid's verse
4: babe oh babe you've been on my mind just an old flame, old flame. I left you behind.
3: So yeah, loads of air in there and, and nice, you know, sparkly bits, bit of stereo delay. And then uh, Kalani's vocal, I basically just tried to match it in terms of EQ and make sure, you know, they sounded like they were in the same room, even though they weren't. Different days, different studios
6: i ain't even calling for no reconciliation i just want to tap in and see how you've been i waited for an adequate amount of time to give us both some space i think it's been good for us to stay about the way but it can't hurt to check up on an ex not to flex but to put the hurt to rest for maturity to test so i'm calling to say are you okay on your special day can i call
4: you on your birthday
3: yeah, and then they kind of come together in the second chorus. So now you've heard Sid first, first, and then Kalani second. The other two choruses, they kind of both sing along and both do their own little ad-libs as well. Classic duet style. Yeah, classic <laughs> duet style. So Sid's taken up most of the lead vocal. And this is all layers of Sid.
4: Can I call you on your birthday? Just to make sure that you're okay. Would you prefer it if I go ghost?
3: Yeah, and there's a low octave in there that you can hear, but she couldn't sing that low. So we've got like a fake low octave going on using a plugin called Little Boy. So I'll play you that. Sure that, okay. you that
1: girl
3: girl? So it sounds kind of like rubbish on its own, but in the mix at the right level, it does the job of providing that low octave. Yeah.
4: Can I call you on your birthday? Just to make sure that you're okay.
0: Yeah. Yeah, sounds great. So, I mean, in terms of the narrative of this song, because there seems to be a
2: narrative, there's a story here. Who came up with that idea? That's going to be your domain, Howard. Yeah, I think we were both, Sid and I sat down and we're just talking about what was going on. And I can't remember if it was me or her now that one of our ex's birthdays was coming up. And it was that thing that I've had. I think most people who've got an ex have actually experienced this thing where you like, you've memorized your ex's birthday because you have to do that when you go out with someone. (laughs) And so like when the date comes, you can't help but think about it. And uh, it's that thing of like, you know, I want to just give them a call and see how they are. But if it's only recently that you've broken up, there's that kind of dilemma in your mind of like, is it too soon to have that chat? Am I opening a door that I should leave closed at this point? So we both kind of had that as the vague concept at the beginning. And then we just fleshed it out and we were like, what would you actually say when you did that? And like, how could you do it with the best intentions, you know, and how could you do it not with the best intentions? And uh, what would the reasonings be for those things? And yeah, we basically just brainstormed on those ideas and came up with the idea of like, yeah, actually, I do just want to call you to make sure that you're cool. And like, there's no ulterior motive here. I just want to see how you are. But yeah, it's like straddling that line of what's acceptable and what's not in that kind of unnavigated terrain.
0: It's great. It means that it seems really real when they're singing to each other in effect it feels like there is mm-hmm. a conversation and that there is a backstory you know to this whole arrangement you really kind of end up living in this moment this moment of decision and indecision about these two people and
2: yeah dead. exactly the thing that i like about it being a duet is that both the people involved have an element of power but they also have an area of vulnerability because you've got the power to be like you know i've got the decision making ability to call you or not But then you've also like got that thing of maybe if I do call you I'll have a problem and I'll catch feelings again or whatever. So Mm. yeah it's got like a nice double-sided, what's it, double-edged sword to it.
3: We took it pretty literally as well. There's an earlier version of this song that actually ends with a phone ringing sound effect. (laughs) It ends with this kind of ambiguous did she pick up or did she leave it? But then I think we decided it was a bit too cheesy but (laughs) this is in in the version. You can hear it fading in. yeah but <laughs> it's, it's like, left hanging you know yeah it kind of left full, it just um,
2: like oh no 90s mtv video <laughs> yeah i mean
3: I don't know what phone you're using if you're still getting those noises but <laughs> true. yeah we decided to take that out but you know i'm always looking for ways that i can bring the meaning of the lyrics into the production somehow whether it's uh you know like a little ah like we said yeah. earlier or a vocoder to just put the lyrics directly in the sound but yeah with this one it wasn't as literal as that needed to be <laughs> I'm, yeah glad we sacked that off in the end yeah all right. Should we move on to the music? Yes. Cool. So some drums to start things off. Yeah, halftime beat. Very influenced by dubstep. Uh, you know, late two thousands dubstep going on in the UK with a little bit more of an R and B dry edge to it. You know, dubstep usually involved big reverbs and you know boom. Boom. So I was always a big fan of scream and Banger, and Banger's drums were very inspirational pivotal moments in like my early listening days of dubstep and um yeah he's definitely influenced this tune but then yeah people i don't know like grant nelson jeremy sylvester those guys where it was much more up front and the drums were really dry and like in your face so yeah that's in there Uh, and then i think we've got to give shouts to jay diller as well because the claps uh, in this tune are so in your face it's Mm -hmm. so loud and up front and that was a classic jay diller thing was you know kick and snare the loudest thing in the mix by miles and then you know everything else just kind of squelching underneath yeah. and, and i always it.
2: thought maybe that was like kind of a trick that people do because like it's on all the d'angelo records as well where the drums are way louder than everything else and it makes you turn it up because you want to hear everything else and you end yeah. up with this pump the drum slam really loud song <laughs> exactly. on it. yeah yeah
3: here's a bit of that So, you know, loads of crackle and stuff in there again for the same reasons that we explained earlier. Mm-hmm. It just needs to be there. But there's a lot of uh, recorded claps and clicks in here as well. So we've got, oh my God, look at that. How many layers do you reckon that is? Oh my God, it's a Let me count it One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 layers of claps here. It's a lot of claps. Wow. Clicks. Here it is. And mouth clicks. So if I mute, this is just my mouth. <laughs> doing that then hand clicks layered up with that and then claps and you know the reason we've done that is because I didn't want it to sound like a loop you know there's something about hand claps that you need to do a take throughout the song or at least 16 bar loop or something just so that there's different flams and different things happening or it just sounds so drum machiney and you know you can hear in this there are snares and claps that are in the drum machine but those ones we've panned really far out to the side so that you get those more authentic humanized sounding moments you know that goes to the left more out to the right center you know it's just different Mm -hmm. each time and that's something again i would never have thought to do at the start of our career. Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't have considered that important, but now I listen to it and I'm just like, ah, it doesn't sound like an Al Green record unless it's someone in the room standing by a mic clapping away. So we try and do that more now. Hi-hat loop in there, which is uh, an acoustic hi-hat. I don't think there's really any electronic hi-hats. It's I can't remember if that's a loop or if that's me on a hi-hat because mm-hmm. we did go to a studio for a About six months to write music for this album Called Sleeper Sounds in Notting Hill And I did do a whole like two or three days Of just recording drums I think that might be me just looping away I'm not sure But it's been manipulated and messed with a lot since then And chopped up, so it's as good as electronic So yeah, that's the drums Oh, there's a big breath in there as well Just acting like a crash cymbal I think I was just kind of bored of using a splash crash cymbal So I went with kind of breath as well just adding even more air to their vocal yeah you wouldn't notice it in the mix but yeah it's just a nice point of difference cool let's go to the chords because they're super important um sine waves another kind of classic disclosure sounding bleepy synth
2: I mean, yeah, they're pretty simple chords, man. It's just the last one that's kind of a bit out there, but diminished and very Aaliyah again, you know. I was thinking uh, yeah. Timberland and Aaliyah, all those songs. Yeah, everything else is pretty basic. There's just
3: sevenths. Cool. So we've got that just on a basic kind of sine wave with a bit of white noise synth, and we're backing it up with some cool plucky sounds, like vibraphone. yeah just something a bit more acoustic, bringing it into the real world, and then that's backed up by this really lovely melody that Howard wrote, which I remember you drew it in manually because it
2: moved in a very quite unique way Well, it and, um... was I basically just wrote one part, which was And then I basically went in and do what I would do for writing a harmony for a vocal line, mm. which is essentially how you would write like a brass section part.
3: Yeah, yeah so I, I hear this as violins. You know, right. sound, yeah. that's why I put it on that sound, because yeah. as soon as you wrote it, I heard like dum fun, 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 I could yeah. see the orchestra playing that and that's why it sounds I love that bit the most when it just lands. Um yeah. Yeah, that's a really cool. So that was I don't know what Cynthia wrote that on, but I decided to keep it in that very high up place it's the only instrument that's really tackling that sort of area of the sound palette some more more clunks here (laughs) So that's like a a toy piano sound but with all of the notes eq'd out it's just the clunkiness of the the mallet hitting the piano and you put that all together Yeah, so that's the harmony and the drums. Moving on to the bass, big bass. So my favourite thing about this bass is that the main sub note has got like a bit crusher on it. You can hear the buzzy bzz 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 going on. So it's just a single note sampled with a bit crusher. So it means that when you move the note around, the bit crusher moves with it. Usually the bit crusher would maintain just going. Bzz 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 bzz. But in this case it's going zzz, bz, 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 moving around. So you can only really do that by sampling a note. I don't think they make a bit crusher that does that. So that's a cool little point of difference. Uh bass guitar just low in the mix. Just filling in some of the harmonic space. And then there's two Juno's over the top. So more like electronic bass sound. So yeah, four basses all layered up to get that. Yeah. Oh, there's a string note as well, which has got some cool delay on it. The delay is modulating and making it sound like the strings bending. I'll turn the delay up. So you know it just kind of sounds like an alarm almost but that's all just delay coming off of that string note and we're a big fan of just having a single string note throughout the chorus just a Roy Ayers move, straight, <laughs> straight Roy straight Ayers. Up, yeah, yeah, everybody yeah. loves the sunshine. You know, there's that one string that yeah. just goes throughout the whole song, and that's just genius. You know, if the harmony lets you do that, it, we yeah. always do it. <laughs> yeah, it, it often doesn't. <laughs> it often doesn't work. Yeah, but I love that. That's a good, yeah. one. and they do it in garage as well. So, yeah, that's where we stole that idea. I think that's it, except for the next bit of structure, um, which is the middle eight, which goes to this nice little ooh section and a really nice chord progression here, which Howard came up with. So I love that it's so satisfying to me you know the way that the harmony just all sort of falls to pieces and just goes to a place you wouldn't expect and yeah I love the way you brought it back to where it originally mm-hmm. was as well. Yeah
2: the chord progression came about because of a conversation that I had with Pharrell actually <laughs> uh, not to name drop but it was uh, <laughs> you can't not name drop if it's Pharrell um, where we were speaking about like old Motown songs where they would have like really simple chord progressions the whole way through and then in the middle eight all of a sudden you get this magical moment where the chords go all like expensive and jazzy and I was like yeah people don't really do that anymore because people just chuck in their best chords for the whole song Uh, they don't like have any restraint so I figured like this song having quite simple chords for the majority I was like oh we've got to go a bit crazy with the middle eight now and because we had Sid's voice to work with layering it up with the harms as well it made a lot of sense.
3: Yeah that's right so she's doing some ooze here which just back up the harmony. some cool ad-libs over the top as well yeah I love those last three chords that's mm-hmm. super cool man that's not something we'd usually do it's it's very classic songwriting yeah you know, that kind of key change yeah it's very <laughs> Burt Bacharach yeah um, that is basically
0: it all of that how long did that all take in terms of working and working and working on it?
3: Uh, this was probably the longest song
2: in terms mm. of the production afterwards. Um, the songwriting itself was... Was it two days or one day? I think one day with it was an extra day for recording. Yeah, it was one day for writing. Yeah, and
3: then yeah. Kalani's day. So three days in total of recording. And then I'd say maybe a, the layering, like adding things like those plucky sounds. And then, you know, there's like a little arp here as well doing... I think that came in later, you know, that it's the oldest tune on the album, so you could definitely say we weren't done tweaking it until three years had passed. But it was very, you know, sporadic and very spread out. It wasn't solid work by any means. We wrote the whole other rest of the album in that time. Yeah, I
2: think it was just we had quite a lot of time to sit with it. And like, I probably went a year without hearing this tune. Because it was just like in the bank, we were like happy with it, we were like, yeah, we're definitely going to put that on the record. And then we'd listen to it a year later and be like, actually, you know what, we should change this note, or we should change this sound, just like minor tweaks though, it was nothing yeah. big at that And point. same
3: with me and the production, I think I had a solid mix, and then I didn't touch it for a year and a half, and then with my new, latest knowledge, I would have added fresh plugins and new mixing techniques. This was probably the hardest song for me to mix, because... I wanted the drums to be so slamming and so upfront and loud and with their tender voices underneath. It was very hard to get that balance. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of automation on the volume of the vocals, especially SIDS because, you know, it should be so soft in some of those passing notes that you'd have to boost the volume there and then take it down for a longer note. And all of that was meticulously done and in and around the claps and stuff too. Yeah, I had to be very careful with like where we placed it. It wasn't just kind of like turn it up. All right, leave it. There's a lot of manual mm-hmm. automation going on there. And same with Kalani so yeah it was a, a long mixing process this one just lots of tweaks and adding but no multiple versions or anything like that you know we rarely do that the demo project on logic is the final project you know this is where we mix it and then it goes straight to mastering from this there's not really such a thing as a previous version all right let's put it into pro tools and freshen it up we just keep building it mm-hmm. and keep working on the same project
0: And by manual automation, what do you mean by that guy?
3: Like riding the fader with your finger, you know, so if Sid's vocal dips down at the end of a note, say she goes like, ah, you know, you want it to go, ah. You just want that whole thing to be the same volume. So you'd ride the fader. It's like
2: manual compression, basically. Yeah,
3: so you give it some compression and then a bit of that. I mean, yeah, if you could see the screen, there's just tons of automation going up and down, up and down. So I'd probably do a manual pass of it to get a rough pattern and I'd neat it up with the mouse. Right. But yeah, compression helps a lot. I mean... Her vocals heavily, heavily
0: compressed because it needs it. You know, it's so airy and and light. Fantastic! It's so good to hear that broken down. And it's interesting, you know, that that was the first song that you felt was complete for the record, and and that you kept working on it. And it probably was the first song that helped move you forward into recording the record in a way.
2: Yeah. It's definitely one of the first ones we were really like immediately happy with. Yeah, I think it's the only song
3: that's a real stepping stone between the second album sound and this album sound as Mm -hmm. well. You know, it's the only R&B kind of flavor on there. And maybe that's because we were, yeah, earlier days of writing the album still coming out of that phase. And then, you know, as we progressed on, we were exploring more and more, especially in, in, you know, African genres, South American drums and, and stuff like that. You know, we weren't, white as into that stuff when we made this tune and then throughout that next year that's when we really started focusing in on those other percussive elements
0: Mm. so before i let you go there are a couple of questions that we'd like to ask everybody who comes on tape notes but before we get to those i think it'd be great to hear birthday built up from scratch i mean i know we've heard lots of different elements Mm. but a quick run through of how it emerges would be brilliant yeah sure
3: okay so the tune starts off with howard's chords and the sine waves and a little hi-hat loop and the snare drum is filtered down to this kind of sound. Lots of vinyl crackle as well moving around. Then the drums kick in with Sid. There's her vocal. And then this nice little string type element comes in maybe
4: you want me to stay away'm i just wondering what you say and then
3: the lead vocal on the chorus is multi-track and then the bassline just
4: to make sure that you're okay
3: and the bass. boom boom
4: boom can
3: I Then the Roy Air string.
4: Just to make sure that you're okay. Got to love it.
3: Harmonies. All for all. Little four-bar break. Yeah.
6: I ain't even calling for no reconciliation. I just want to tap in and see how you've been. A Lani, for an adequate amount of time to give us both some space. I think it's been good for us to stay about the way, but it can't hurt to check up on an ex, not to flex, but to put the hurt to rest. For maturity to test, so I'm calling to say, Are you
3: okay? Second verse done, and back into the chorus.
4: Can I call you on your birthday?
3: Then skipping along to the middle eight. Nice booze. Say it on the ad libs. And the chords build up. it back into the chorus.
4: Birthday, just to make
0: sure okay. There you go. So, so good. Thank you. Equipment. Is there a piece of kit that you cannot live without?
3: Yeah, easy. Laptop. Mac- MacBook Pro. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> yeah, we're very in the box. Uh, we do have some nice synthesizers here. We've got uh, a Moog Little Fatty. We've got a Juno 106. We've got the Novation Peak. I've got a bunch of the Roland boutique stuff which are all like modern day like miniature versions of classic synthesizers like the d50 and the sh101 but yeah honestly i mean with a song like this it's all in the box mm-hmm. there's no hardware going on apart from vocals and claps so yeah it, we'd have to say macbook man laptop and logic mm. but keyboard yeah. is pretty vital a keyboard yeah. any midi keyboard would be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then for me on the mixing side of things i'd have to shout out universal audio we use the apollo 8 interface So everything we recorded for this whole album would have gone through my Apollo and through all of their amazing plugins, which all model old vintage gear. They basically emulate what old compressors and old Neve desks used to sound like in an incredibly accurate way. So, you know, although we don't have the physical versions anymore, the technology is, it's getting there, man. It's so close now to the original that as far as I'm concerned, if you're recording with a nice Neumann microphone through an Apollo with a Neve running, it's pretty close to the original. I, I can't tell them apart. Yeah, oh. Universal Audio Plugins definitely helped take this album, I would say, to be the best mix we've done
0: so far. And the other line of inquiry we have is about advice. You mentioned mm. that you had a good team around you. Yeah. Do you have any advice that you would pass on to people or are there any words of wisdom that came to you that really struck home that you've kind of kept close? I mean, you mentioned, Howard, that you have your own personal motivator Mr. Eric Thomas talking to you every day. <laughs> um, <laughs> With his... I,
2: maybe not every day, yeah. but uh... yeah, yeah. <laughs> he just calls you, yeah, just like personal chats. Uh, that would be amazing. If That'd he called be me, I would definitely do it. Every oh God, man! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to be honest, like I am quite cautious about giving out advice especially when it comes to uh, like business moves and things within the industry because what we did to get to where we are is no longer applicable you know like the moves that we were making like we put all of our songs on myspace at the beginning which like i definitely wouldn't recommend now and like one of the main kind of marketing tricks that we did at the beginning was like we put our songs on facebook and said you could download them for free if you liked our page right which now is like a very old school move that is very well known but like when we did it that was brand new and so it got us like 10,000 followers but it's again no longer applicable nowadays you've got like things like TikTok to think about and like I, yeah, I don't really I don't know, know I've got no idea like if you're brand new right now all I can say is just make the best music you can and everything else if the music is good enough it tends to fall into place and I'm speaking from experience but also from watching a lot of other people that I've seen yeah. rise to success is if you focus in on the music As a musician, that's your job, you know? Like, you're not supposed to know about how the industry works and the business side of it. You can if you want. But, like, there's other people that are masters at that. So if you can make the best music you can, it puts you in good stead.
0: Do you ever have a creative block in any way?
2: Yeah, for sure. Like, I wouldn't even say it's a block. Like, one of the things that told us that this album was finished for me anyway it was like I just ran out of ideas like I got everything out that I felt I needed to express after 200 songs Like I was like yeah man I've said everything I needed to say and until I live a bit more of my life (laughs) I'm not gonna have anything else to talk about so um I think I don't know if you can call that writer's block or like writer's success because like I got all my ideas out which is what you're supposed to do as a writer but I think writer's block is such a vague broad term you can have writer's block in the sense of like you're writing loads of stuff, but you don't like any of it. That doesn't mean it's not good.
3: My advice is just keep writing, even when you have it, even if it's mm. shit. Like even if what you're making, you don't even like. Just have it on a separate hard drive called shit or something. Yeah. It, just you're still yeah. doing it because you know just be bad until you're good is the saying, right? You just have to push through, and even when you're making stuff you don't like, and this is probably from the producer side of things more you'll still learn tricks. You'll still learn something. You'll still learn little moves to make using a plugin or using a synth that you didn't know before. And what you make with that, you might not like, but there'll be a session or something that you'll do along the line where you're like, oh, that trick I did in that whole month where I made nothing, that's become a bit of a signature move for me Mm -hmm. now. There'll always be something, man. You know, we've been doing this for 10 years and not a single session goes by where I don't use... A bit of gear that I've had on my computer for years, slightly differently, and do something new with it. Yeah, yeah. You you learn
2: from writing bad songs. Yeah. Um, And don't be
3: afraid to just outright copy other people, especially at the start. You know, just try and re engineer someone else's song. Yeah. You know, that's what we did. Our early songs are just ripping off people like Joy Orbison and James Blake and Burial badly. And then you get to a point where maybe you're getting up the ladder a bit and you're improving. And then you start to, you know, bring in your own unconscious ideas because you can't not you know you're not making music that's true to yourself if you're only copying but to learn how to use the gear and learn how to produce i mean that's one of the things they literally got us doing at college was pick a tune and try and remake it on logic that's a great way to start
2: you know and that's one thing that i've definitely learned is like if you sit down right and you try and write a song like burt bacharach It won't sound like Burt Bacharach because you're not him and he's incredible, right? So you'll end up making something that sounds like you because you you can't imitate people as well as you feel like you could. Like all these people, like you remember, um, I don't know, was it like five years ago where everyone tried to sound like James Blake or like Flume, right? And no one sounded like James Blake or Flume because they weren't them. So Flume is always going to be the best at sounding like Flume. James Blake is always going to be the best at sounding like James Blake, yeah. you know? And even on the um, producer
3: side of things, Skrillex, you know, you try and make a yeah. Skrillex tune. He's no the one best can make crazy yeah, yeah. sounds like Skrillex. Yeah. Just, you can't do it.
2: So even if you are trying to copy people, you're probably going to end up making your own sound.
3: Yeah, but aim <laughs> for that. It's an aim, you know, even if you're not you know, interested in writing songs that are in that domain, you could still get close and learn something production-wise mm-hmm. along mm-hmm. the way, recording-wise even, you know, even if you set up a mic better than you have before during the making of a terrible song that's still something
0: fantastic those are great things for people to get involved with um this has been amazing and uh, you know i've got to thank you not just for doing this but in the whole approach it seems to me the whole approach is about sharing and being open this new openness that you were talking about and you clearly do it well you could set up your own college the disclosure college of uh, <laughs> musical education it could happen Thanks, man. Well, yeah, if
3: anyone wants to learn more and hear more of our stuff, twitch.tv slash Disclosure Music. That's where we're at every Tuesday and every Thursday. We're breaking down old songs and making music. So,
0: yeah, please tune in. It's a great service. Um, I'm going to let you go now. We will leave with one more piece of music that we haven't discussed, another selection from the Energy album. Any particular tune that you want to go with that we'll hear a a little snippet of? Sure.
3: Well, another song that's already out that... We've broken down on twitch so if you want to see that one go there it'd be my high featuring amine and slow tie another tune that we wrote in la big pumping house tune i think the last tune we wrote for the record so yeah it's like the freshest one in our minds so i'm still a big 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 fan of it because it's not three years old <laughs> yeah,
0: haven't got bored of it yet. <laughs> yeah fantastic well let's hear it now guy howard thanks again and this is you together with amine and slow tide this is my high disclosure Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you have a moment, do tell your friends and leave us a review. It all really helps. Thanks to those of you who have already donated to the show. I'm just one part of the team that brings you Tape Notes. It relies on your support. If you'd like to donate, please head to our website. To ask a question on a future episode or find out who's coming up, head to our socials and on Instagram, you can see pictures from the recording sessions for each episode of Tape Notes. Thank you for listening. Until next time, goodbye.
5: Everyday I'm gonna go on boss, so you know i make the whole shit. Hey, fucking nigga's up until the beacon, play. So they wanna fuck a chill she gets saved. Club promoters wanna act like they know me. Club promoters wanna be my homie. Bad news, nigga, you wake really the homie. Bad news, nigga, you wake really the homie. Bad news, nigga, you wake really the homie. Bitch, I leave you by your lonely. eat, and then you're back on your lonely. Fuck with me, and now you always lonely. Fuck with him, and Some drugs, psychic, you and we stick it to the drum, like